and playing for us tonight. Always a blessing. Uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and find, if you will, the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes tonight in your Bible. Find that place, if you will. Ecclesiastes basically means the preacher. And the preacher's got something he wants to say. The preacher's going through a bad spout. <laughs> Every preacher goes through a bad bout. Any preacher who says he never went through a bad bout is a preacher who's lying. That means, so that means he's going through a bad bout right there. And so this preacher here, Solomon, is, is looking at life, trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning. What's the, what's the reason we're here? And, and what purpose is there to it all? And so Solomon has some things I think will help us tonight as we study the scriptures. All right. So Ecclesiastes chapter number five. And uh, we're going to learn some things tonight I think will help us. Uh, in, in chapter number four, we saw Solomon looking at life and, and examining several places in life and sawing, seeing corruption and seeing uh, dishonesty and seeing uh, all sorts of manner of things that men do to one another. And tonight he's going to talk about vows and keeping vows. And what's the Bible say about those things? Well, Father, bless the time, bless the hour now. We're glad we can be here. It's, it's, it's warm in the building. We are safe. We are dry. And we've come apart from the world for just a few moments. And Lord, in the next moments, may we concentrate on Scripture. May the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Help us to understand what it is that you would have us to know. Bless now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people suffer from the same problems in life. There was a statement made many years ago by a man who said, when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And uh, my friend, uh, basically put is we all have to live within our budget. And most people in the world today do not live within their budget. Everybody's out there. Uh, on credit and in debt and, and living uh, from paycheck to paycheck in a very dangerous and precarious way. Now Solomon was a wealthy man and he knew some things about money. And those who have money and have been able to maintain their money know some things about it. And there's some things we can learn from those people. And, and, and some of this wisdom is, is shared in the book of Proverbs. When you read Proverbs, he mentions money a lot about, uh, again, caring for it and, and, and how to take care of it and, and what you shouldn't do with your money. And, and he includes some of those things here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, he could, and we think of life under the sun, S-U-N. That's what he's looking at here. Life under the sun, and life under the sun as if there is no God. What is life like if there is no God? What, what's going on on this planet here? And, uh, and so he, he's, he tells them that he goes beyond the subject of mere money and deals with the value of life, because that's what really counts. Again, you can have money and you don't have much of a life. So the, and there's more than one way to be rich, and there's more than one way to be poor. In this chapter, Solomon issues three warnings about the, to, related to the values that are found in life. And it's important for us to learn these things. In verses 1 through 7, Solomon gives us some advice. He says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. 
and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is, is known by multitude of words. You ever know somebody who just doesn't shut up and has got an answer to everything, and they're a complete moron? Verse 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angels that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are divers vanities, but fear thou God. Now Solomon in the previous book chapter had visited the marketplaces, he visited the courtroom, he visited the highway, he went into the palace and and now what he's done is he's going down to the temple and he's paying a visit down there to the temple. And again, I have to believe that Solomon is in some form of a disguise and has hid himself so that people do not recognize him. Any popular figure, if they go somewhere, generally are mobbed by a crowd. It's always been that way. Anybody with a little bit of fame, athlete, Hollywood, movie star, politician, doesn't matter. Uh, they're famous. They will attract a crowd. And so oftentimes famous people... What they miss the most, by the way, in life is, 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 is obscurity. <laughs> you and I can walk down the street and nobody pays us any mind. You become famous, next thing you know, you're, you're, you're hunted down by everybody. Solomon must have disguised himself and so nobody could recognize him and who he is. And so he's, he's now there down at the temple and he's paying some attention there. And what's going on? He's observing. And Solomon was a man who observed a lot of things, by the way. If you pay attention... In, in Proverbs, he talks about looking out his window and he's watching people as they go up and down the streets and he's observing their actions. Proverbs chapter number 6, he especially watches one young man as he makes his way on down to the, to the, uh, to the evil woman's house where he, does, he doesn't understand his death in that house, but he, I'm watching him go down that way. And you can learn a lot by just watching people, by the way. And Solomon seems to be doing a lot of that in life. And as he goes down to the temple, he, he watched the worshipers come and go, praising God, and they're praying, and they're sacrificing, and they're making vows. And he noted that many of them were not all sincere in their worship, and they left that sacred place of, in, in worse spiritual condition when they had entered into it. Now, what was their sin? Their sin was that they were robbing God of the reverence and honor that God deserves. And God is a God who deserves those things. He, he, he rightfully has that to him. And Solomon's watching people go in. And the Lord Jesus Christ observed people when they were going into the temple. If you remember that? He was watching them their, their, throw their money into the, into the offering plates. He's, he observed a lot. And he pointed it out to his disciples. Uh, pay attention to what's going on here. And so Solomon was doing this here in Scripture. And these acts of worship... They were insincere and they were uh, hypocritical because they weren't there to really worship God. They were going there to be seen or to maybe God will honor me going there and, 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 and give me something even though 
I could care less about God. Like somehow God can be fooled by all this. And he warns us here. He says, keep thy foot. Keep thy foot. In other words, he's saying, watch your step. Watch your step. Even though God's presence doesn't dwell in our church in the way it did in the temple, we can still sense the presence of God from time to time. But we still, he, he's, he's telling the believers and, and his people here that they need to be careful. The worship of God is the highest ministry that the church and a Christian can do. I'm going to worship God. And I'm going to honor God in my worship. By the way, real worship comes when you're alone, not so much public worship. Most public worship you see on TV and, and all this dancing and fluting and everything, it's just, it's just people put on a show. Your real worship comes when you're home alone. And what do you do when you're home alone and nobody sees you? How do you communicate with God and how do you act before God then? That's true worship. These people, he's watching them go into the temple and, and observing them there. He said, this is just hypocritical worship. Not all of them. There are a lot of sincere people there, but he noticed the ones who are hypocritical. And it doesn't take long in your observation to notice those who are just hypocritical in all of this. People come to church. And if people are constantly going like this in church, they're not here to worship God. They're here to get, do something and get out. We want to, we want to hear from heaven. We want God to work in my heart and, and meet with my needs tonight. I, don't want, I want God to help me so to help me to know how I can be a better child of God. Not so I can get something from it. What do I got to do to make myself better? I'm going for physical therapy on my knee replacement and I have to go again tomorrow. And they'll, they, I always say, well, what do I need to do? Uh, you know, what do I have to do to improve myself? Is, can we up this a little bit? They started out with two ounce weights on my, they put two ounce weights on my legs and I'm, I go, what is that, five pounds? It was two. No, you're kidding me. This is, this is de depressing. Well, we got up to six pounds on, on the ankle and, and then they say, you know what, we're going to put you on the machine. And they clank that thing up to 15 pounds and I'm swinging my knee back and forth. I want to get better. I want to improve myself. I don't want to be crippled the rest of my days and limp. I, I did this so I can be better. And so I can beat my son at the softball game come this Memorial Day. Amen? I, 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 I want to improve. I want to know, God, what's wrong with me in my heart? Show me what's hindering my prayer life. What, what, what flaws do I have that I can confess them, that I may be better towards you? We know that unconfessed sin in our lives will hinder our prayer life. And God rebukes that. And Solomon is going to touch on several things in the, in the way of worship here. Now, again, we don't offer animal sacrifices as, as they did in the Old Testament because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the sacrifices in his death on, on the cross. But, the, but we ourselves, we are the priests of God, and what do we offer up? We're to offer up ourselves. Romans chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so those folks were offering animal sacrifices. Well, I'm going to be offering myself. God, what do you want with me? God, you're not getting much, but here I'm, I'm here. And, 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 and do something with my life. Make it, 
Make it meaningful. People in our lives, we want to, to serve God. We want to do what's right. The important thing is that the worshipers be more ready to hear the word of God. And that's what, you notice the psalm says, be, in these verses, be, be careful to hear a lot. You know, God gave us how many ears? How many mouths? We should do twice as much listening as we do talking. I had a friend of mine, every time I was in mid-sentence, he said, I don't mean to cut across your butt. And I say something, but I don't mean to cut across, and he cut me, and always cut me off in mid-sentence. Very annoying. You're, try, you're trying to have a convert. I don't mean to cut across your butt. I don't mean to cut across your butt. I don't mean to, oh, dude, you keep cutting across me all the time. He always wanted to talk. He would never let anybody else talk. And there's, the more you talk, the more likely you are to say something foolish. Listen. Do a lot of listening. People come to, to me for counseling. A lot of times I just sit there and I listen to all that they're saying before I pour out any information that may be pertinent to the situation. We are to offer up ourselves. Now, sacrifices are not a substitute for obedience. God wants us to, be, to obey. And sometimes we see in a world where people will offer a sacrifice and not obey. Well, let me, let me just give the church a large donation. Well, let me do this. Let me do that. No, why don't you just give yourself? We're thankful for your donations, but we, what we really want is you. <laughs> Put yourself in the offering plate and give yourself to God and see what God can do with you. It was King Saul. Look in your Bible, if you will, at 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Keep your place here in Ecclesiastes. In 1 Samuel, near the back up a few books of your Bible, 1 Samuel. Saul is the king, and he's not a very good king. And he's made a lot of mistakes along the way. He's a tall, good-looking guy, head and shoulders above everybody else. And uh, no doubt when he walked down the street, the girls all swooned and, and said, that's a good-looking guy. And, and the problem with Saul is he knew he was a good-looking guy, and, and, and it went to his, his head. He was a prideful man. Now, in this story, Samuel, verse 1, Samuel also, Samuel's the prophet. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint thee to be king over thy people over Israel. Now hearken therefore unto the place of the voice of the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but, but both slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together to number them and teal them in 200,000 footmen. And so the, the order is to go and take out these people. They're wicked, evil, and perverted, and godless, diseased people. You need to wipe them out. That's the orders. But the Bible says in verse number 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah, unto thou comest unto Shur, that is, over against Egypt, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Now notice verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best sheep of the oxen and the fatling and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, 
But everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. So again, they, they keep back the best. They, oh, that's a good looking sheep, and that's good looking, and well, let's just keep this stuff, and we'll keep the king alive. Well, that's not what God said. So when Samuel shows up, and he says, hey, how'd you make out? Did you do what God told you? Oh, yes, we did. We did everything God told us to do. And he says in verse number 21, actually, we back up. And he says in, in uh, verse 19, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the men? Now, to fly upon the spoil means that they grabbed the, the best stuff that they saw. Similar to what happened with Jericho when the man's name escapes me, went in and he took some goodly raiment and some Aiken and some silver and, and took it because this is good stuff. I wouldn't want to burn or destroy this. And, and God said, no, you utterly destroy everything. But he says, you haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Notice now, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You see, what Saul was guilty of as he was, not, he was not obedient, but he was going to use the things of his disobedience to be a sacrifice. And God's like, I don't want that sacrifice. What I want is you to be obedient to me. And you have not done that. And God rejected him to obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. And if God tells us to do something, we ought to obey God. I know God told me I ought to go to church, but I'll make up for it next week by putting a little extra in the offering plate. God's like, you know, dude, I really don't need your money. I, I own everything. What I want is your heart. I want you to obey me in the first place. Now, if we go back to Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes here, he says in verse number 2, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart utter or let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and now upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For the dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Now, prayer, my friend, is a very serious business. It must not be entered into lightly or carelessly, but soberly. We're going to approach God. What am I going to say to God when I approach God? I need to have some form of things planned out of what I'm asking God. If you and I were privileged to go down to the White House or someplace else famous and, and speak to some dignitary, we'd probably be thinking what we would say. Do you ever be, meet somebody and, and, and your brain is thinking to see to say hello or how are you and, and, and it comes out, you know, you know, discombobbled, you know, how are you, hello, and people are like, what? <laughs> it's like you, your brain was fighting over which, which statement you wanted to use, and it came out gargled, 
Or you said something, so that made no sense whatsoever. Because maybe you're a little intimidated by meeting somebody. And you didn't know what to say. Well, if we can meet somebody famous and, 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 and they would say, well, what is it you need? Well, let me think about this and let me say this problem. I'm going to God. Let me approach, and Solomon's laying out the case for this sincerity of worship and, and just how serious it is to approach God. Now I realize we can walk into the throne room of God and we can talk to God. But be careful what you say and what you're asking for and what you're telling him you're going to do. And too often people, hey, God, if you fix this situation, I promise. Be careful with that, by the way. You know, God, if you give me A, I promise you, and we make these, and do we do, we do it? Do we do it? You know, I was a young man. I was praying for a car. I've been saving my money. All, I was working through high school, saving my money for a car. I'd be here in, high, in, in church on Wednesday evenings, 15, 16 years old, and, and, I, and, and, and I'd listen to these adults. Pastor, could you please pray for me to get a car so I can get, go to work? And Pastor, we're going to pray for so-and-so to get a car. And, you know, so-and-so get a car. We never see him again. That happened three or four times. They got that car. They dropped. There they go. I remember saying, now, as soon as I get my license, I got my old 17-year-old license on me. If you want to see what good-looking looks like, I'll show it to you later on. <laughs> Amen. I, I thank you. <laughs> you and Crystal both. Now, they had pictures. They had, we had camera. The, the man put a hood over his head, and he held this thing up, and, he, and, and, and it flashed, and and I had to hold still for 10 minutes while it was going through the exposure process. But we, we had pictures back then. But I remember as a 17-year-old boy and uh, had my license and praying that I can find the right car. And I said, told God, Lord, if you give me a car, I promise you I'll not let that car keep me from church. And, and I'm not bragging. I'm simply saying, but I used that car. <laughs> to pick up boys and girls and to bring them to Sunday school and use them in youth groups and other, all kinds of other activities. To, it was used for God and His glory and His purpose. We, we, be careful with what you vow. Well, what about those other people? What happened to them who made their car? I don't know. I never saw them again, but I guarantee you that car didn't work out too well because God, God knows how to make cars not work properly. I guarantee you. He also knows how to make them work well when you're in a dangerous situation. Amen. <laughs> More than once, I've been in bad ways, and Jesus, I, I, I need help right now, and Jesus has took care of me, and be careful. Solomon is warning here about carelessness of prayer. He's warning you about your vows and, and what you're saying to God. And, and, and so when we pray, we, we must watch what we say. Jesus talked about, you know, you, you think because if you're much speaking, you're going to be heard. Somebody said, we need to have an all-night prayer meeting. I'm like, dude, you can't even stay awake in church, and you're going to come here and stay awake all night and pray? Seriously? What, you know? <laughs> if we called for an all-night prayer meeting, I doubt you'd show up in the first place. But, we, you know, and well, what, do you, what, what are you going to say for the next eight hours to God? Most of us run out of steam after five minutes. So what are you going to stay for the next eight, ten hours in your prayers to God? Nothing wrong with all-night prayer meetings when they're needed, when they're called for. The secret to an acceptable praying really is a prepared heart. 
Look, if you will, at Psalm 141. Psalm 141. He says in verse number 1, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and as the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now we know those things were pleasing to God. And, and, and the psalmist is crying out that his prayer would be pleasing to God. Because we know that whatever is in our heart comes out where? Out of our mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So you can always tell what's in a person's heart by what they're always talking about. If a man is gracious and kind and always saying good things, well, that's his heart. If a man is perverted and foul all the time, that's his heart. I was in a nursing home. I go to nursing homes a lot. But I remember one particular time I was sitting there and a man was in a wheelchair and he was out of his mind. He got dementia. And he was sitting there in a wheelchair. And I was talking to the person I was visiting and, and he's over here and every time the nurse came by and I, I can never repeat to anybody what this man said but he would always say the most foulest of things to the women nurses he wouldn't say it to any guy but anytime a woman nurse or anybody woman got near him he would foul things would come out of his out of his mouth and again he had dementia well you can't hold that against him no that's because that's what was in his heart his entire life and now it's just spewing out. I'm like, this is a disgusting individual. He wasn't old and full of dementia. I'd, I'd jerk a knot into him and tell him he shouldn't be talking to anybody like that. But he was out of his mind. Why? But again, it was his heart. It was his heart. And the things he had spent his life putting into his heart were coming out. We want to guard those things. If we pray only to impress people, we will not get through to God. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress wrote, In prayer it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. So verse 3 presents an analogy to us back in Ecclesiastes. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Just as many dreams show that the person sleeping is a hard worker, so the words show that the person praying is a fool. Look at Proverbs chapter number 29. In Proverbs 29. He says in verse number 20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. We all know somebody who just talks constantly. And most times it's foolishness. I know one person I have in my mind who anytime you talk, they talk so much and 90% and, and of it, it's a lie. They just make stuff up. And it's like, dude, that didn't happen that way. That's not, how, what, that's not what took place. Oh, yes, it did. It's like, no, it's not. I was there. 
And then, then, and they just keep going on and on. It's like they eat alphabet soup for breakfast, and just all day long, they're these words just come flowing. Again, it's nice to have conversations and talk, but make sure what you're talking makes some kind of sense, and it's productive and helpful. Solomon's admonition, again, is to, in verse, we go back to Ecclesiastes. And he says here in Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5. When thou vowest a vow unto God, verse 4, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed, better it is to, that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angels that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are divers vanities, but fear thou God. The preacher warns us here about a couple sins. The first of that is making a vow with no intention of keeping it. Now listen, we all may make a vow to God and realize, listen, I made a foolish vow. It was... It was I, I, I never should have said that. It was wrong. We can go to God. But here's a person making a vow knowing that they have no intention of keeping that vow. They're just trying to say something to God and to people and hoping God will do something for them. The second sin is making the vow but delaying to keep it, hoping we can get out of it. And what he's saying here is, you know, please forget my vow, it was a mistake. God hears what we say and he holds us to our promises unless they were so foolish that then they can only dismiss them. If providence prevents us from fulfilling what we promise, God understands and he releases us from that. But if we made our vow only to impress others, perhaps a bribe to the Lord... God answers my prayer. I'm going to give $1,000 to missions. Well, God doesn't need your money. Again, he does not. It's his to begin with. He gave it to you to begin with. Again, I use the illustration all the time. It's like Christmas time when I was a kid. Mom, can I have $5? What do you want $5 for? I want to go to the avenue and buy you a Christmas gift. Son, you don't have to buy me a gift. Just be a good boy, and that's a, that's a Christmas present enough. So I'm going to buy my mom a gift with her money. You know, that's what you want to do when you're an eight-year-old kid. God, I, uh, you know, throughout the years we've had people come here and they, they come to church and, and then they disappear. In one case in particular, one young boy, he, he must have been about 17 years old. I'm like, this 17-year-old kid's come to church. He's here all the time. What a blessing. I've been visiting him on Saturdays and he, yeah, I'm going to be there tomorrow, preacher. Yeah, I'm saved and awesome. Then he disappeared for a few weeks and I finally was able to get him home on a Saturday morning. Like, well, where you been? We've missed you. I haven't been in church in over a month and a half. I've been looking for you. Oh, everything's okay now. What do you mean everything's okay now? Well, you see, I, I had some things with the court systems and I was really worried about it and, and God answered my prayer and, and God took care of it. And so I really don't, basically what he said was, I don't need God anymore. Wow. That's what he was saying. He didn't come out and say that exactly, but that's what he was saying. And I have not seen him since. He got, he thought maybe God answered his prayer. God, get me out of this. I'll go to church. 
He goes to church. Whatever happened in court, they threw it out, dismissed, no charges, and, well, I'm done. I, I don't need church no more. I, I feel sorry for that young man. He's got a, God has a way of coming back at you and, and, and put you in a real serious bind. People make empty vows because they live in a religious dream world. Verse 7, for in the multitude of dreams and many words there are divers vanities. And be careful of Christianity in their dream world. You know, I, I envision. Why don't you just serve God and let God lead you? And with this, stop with the crazy dream stuff. You know, my, my granddaughter, she wasn't sleeping good the other night. I said, Julia, why did you wake up crying in the middle of the night? What was wrong? She said, I had a pig in my nose. I said, you did? A piggy, was in, a piggy was in my nose. I said, well, tomorrow Grandpa will make bacon and we'll put the piggy in your mouth, amen? And we'll, we'll fix this problem. But my three-year-old granddaughter was having nightmares or dreams with a pig in her nose. I don't know all that, that entailed, but she would wake up crying. I would wake up crying too if a pig was in my nose. What's that dream mean? It don't mean anything. It's a three-year-old child. And you may be a 33-year-old person, but be careful with what you're, these, these things of dreams. Be careful. They're, again, they live in this fantasy world. We don't, God never told us to live in a fantasy world. He gave us a real world to live with a real God and real situations and real problems and, 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 and real solutions to those problems through serving God. He's letting us know that these people were not worshiping. They're serious. They're there in the temple and they're making vows. Oh, God, if you fix this, I promise. And, he's, and again, Solomon's observing there in the temple and he's watching these people come and go. And again, we see this all the time. Pastor, if you pray for God to heal me of my cancer, I'm going to come to church. Well, let me ask you something. Suppose God doesn't heal you of your cancer. Are you still interested in God? Are you still interested in God? Preacher, please pray that my kids will come back to church. And, 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 and you know, if, if, if God will help my kids, then, then I'll do something. Listen, why don't you do something whether your kids are serving God or not? You're grown children. You just serve God. Don't be making these crazy vows to God. By the way, you ever think God's a good God and He, and he just wants to bless you just because of blessing's sake? He doesn't need you making some backroom deal with him. Hey, God, if you do this, I promise I'm going to come around the side and like, I'm God. I really, <laughs> I, I really don't need you. I'm God. And by the way, the best thing you ever do in Christianity is realize God was doing fine before any of us showed up. And God will still be God long after we're dead and gone. So the best thing we can do is say, God, here am I. I'm not much, but whatever I can do, while I'm here, let me do it. The, the, the Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do what? Do with all your might. Do it good. Do it good. You ever know somebody who does things halfway? Or we used to call them jewelry rigged? Or a shoemaker? Or a few other words we maybe not be able to use anymore, but they just, it's just, it's just a, it's just, dude, what are you, you serious with this project? Well, I can't see it from my house. <laughs> and that's how they 
fix things. That's what they do. No, this is, you take pride in your work. Take pride in this. This is, I'm doing this for God. I, I'm coming to church and preach on Sunday. You know, it doesn't matter whether we have, we had a, the place was packed this morning and we're, we're less than packed tonight. But I preach the same no matter what the crowd is. I've preached when just one person showed up. And I've preached when the place had 150 in it at one time. We just preach. It's the same me all the time. Because it's just me. I'm, I'm doing this for God. And, and relaying the word of God. I'm not trying to impress anybody. And that's how we always look at these things. Whatever you do, you're doing for God. I only picked up one person for church this morning. Praise God. You know, I had a girl years ago. Remember I told you about my car? I bought a Nova. I used to go to Newark and pick up this little girl, lady in church. Her niece lived in Newark. I picked her up many for, for a long time, bringing her to Sunday school. And then they moved, and I lost track of her. About 10 years ago, I'm at a prayer meeting with a couple other preachers, some non-denational. And uh, the lady walks in. She goes, excuse you go to gospel light? I said, yes. Are, are, are you Pastor Matt? I said, yeah. She goes, you remember me? I'm like, no. I said, I'm so-and-so. No, you used to pick me up and bring me to Sunday school when I was a little girl. Oh, I remember you. Sure, I remember you. How are you doing? She's oh, I'm doing really good. It's my husband. He's a pastor. And we're serving the Lord. And she's Pentecostal, but hey, praise God. <laughs> they seemed all right, but they're serving God. Now, you pick up one kid for Sunday school. You never know what God's going to do for him. You get one kid. In, you got one kid in Sunday school. You teach him the Word of God. You never know what God will do with that person. Be faithful. So again, we, in, in the psalmist, he says, I, I, I will go into the house with my burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. Go to God and, and be honest and pay what you, you, God asked you. Remember in Scripture, I don't, we won't take time to go there, but in Acts chapter number 5, there was a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They made a vow to God. Hey, we have property we're going to sell our property and whatever we get, and we think we're going to get this much, we're going to give that money to the church. And they went, well, you don't have to do that. No, we want to do it. Well, okay, thank you. And when they put their property on the market, they got a lot more than they ever thought they would. But in their minds, hey, we promised the church this, and we got this. Let's just give the church this. And they gave it. And God ended up killing the husband, Ananias, because he lied. Did you sell your property? Yes. Did you sell it for such and such? Yes. You're lying. And God killed him. And then his wife came in wearing her new Target jacket and some jewelry she got down there at the gold store. And, and she's all decked out and she's all fancied up and waiting for the fancy restaurant that night. Hey! How did you make out selling your property? We did good. You, gave, you sold it for such and such? Yes. You're lying. You got a lot more. And uh, those who just, these guys here, they just got done burying your husband. And now they're about to bury you because God's going to kill you. And she dropped dead. <laughs> now, God doesn't kill everybody. He's not. But that was a lesson. What was their problem? They lied. They lied to the Holy Ghost, Scripture says. They made a vow. 
And they did not keep that vow. Again, they never, God never demanded them to sell your property and give the money. He never told them. That was what they decided to do. They made that vow. Very quickly in Proverbs, don't rob others. In verses 8 and 9, and maybe we shouldn't jump ahead so much, but if thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting the judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is in higher than the highest regardeth that there might be higher than they. When Solomon left the temple, and I'll kind of, we won't finish this tonight because there's too much here. When Solomon left the temple, he went down to the city hall where he began, and by the way, if you want to see corruption, you go to City Hall, and then you go to the State House, and then you go down to the White House. That's where we visit corruption. And these government officials violated the law by using their authority to help themselves and not serve others, which is a practice which is condemned by Moses. And the remarkable thing about Solomon says, don't be surprised by this. God did not approve, and Solomon did not approve of their unlawful practices, but again, God knows the human heart, and Solomon knew the human heart. It's hard when money's flowing through. I remember watching a video on YouTube, and it was a camera was set up in the room where the church offering gets counted. And the guys counting the money were doing the old Bugs Bunny. One, two, three for you. One, two, three for me. You know, one, two, three for the church. One, two, th and they were, and these guys were like pocket. It was a large mega church, and so they were stashing the money. I, 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 we know somebody personally, Renee and I, who was kicked. I, we went to church. Well, we're so and so. They're not here no more. Long story short, they were counting the offering, but they were also helping themselves. And the pastor set up a sting operation and caught them stealing the money as they were counting it. Corruption. And by the way, if that, if that can happen in the church house, imagine the state house where millions are flowing through. How easy it would be just to take your hand and just grab a few as they come flowing through. Easy to do. And so Solomon deceives all this. In verse 9, and we'll close. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Now, there's a lot of discussion on exactly what does this verse mean. And the general idea seems to be that in spite of corruption in bureaucracy, it's really better to have organized government and a king over the land than to have anarchy. It's better to have some structure than to have full-blown anarchy. We've seen anarchy a few years ago in 2020, in the summer of 2020, when people were burning cities down and, 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 and setting up... Uh, in, zones where they can have their own little government and they were in there doing all manner of crime and it was anarchy. They're burning courthouses, burning police cars and, and burning homes and burning grocery stores and burning uh, the, the places where the, their neighbors' businesses. Anarchy. I'd rather have a dishonest structured government that's somewhat working than to have that running through my backyard. And so Solomon says, no, these things happen, but it's better to have a little bit of government. It's overseeing and taking care of things. There's a few dishonest people. They, they're, they're bad people, but again, and power tends to corrupt people. 
And absolute power corrupts absolutely as it's been said. So we as human beings here, when Solomon is saying this, he's letting us know that as you observe things in life, you're going to observe people say and do things. When you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you can't do it, don't say it. Pastor, I'm going to give $1,000 towards the van. Do you have $1,000? No, then, then be quiet. <laughs> How much do you have? I have $100. Well, give, throw a buck in the offering plate towards the van. That's all you got to do. You don't have to give. You don't give what you don't have. Just be honest about it. We're going to observe things in life. You, don't, you be honest and be careful with the vows that we make. Let's stand before God tonight. Father in heaven, we do thank you this night for your goodness and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for Solomon and the wisdom he imparts to us even in his time of struggle. The things he observed are the things we may observe as well. Let them not be said of us that we may make rash vows or be foolish in our talking and say things, Lord, that we cannot carry out or do. Help us, Lord, to stay within our means and the, the boundaries that you have given to us. Let us love you and serve you with a whole heart, an honest heart, with what little we may have and be faithful and true with it all. Bless this time, bless this hour.